Life with diabetes has some highs and lows, but just like in a normal life, you can make choices which help to make your life easier, improve your health and well-being. In the Diabetic and Healthy podcast, we show you how to do just that. We're here to help you put your diabetes worries behind so that you can start enjoying life with a sky-high smile on your face. So let's meet our host for today's show. Here's Charlotte. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Diabetic and Healthy podcast. I hope everyone is well. I have a very special show for you today. I talk to a lovely guy called Chris McMahon from New York. And this is kind of like a, um, it's like a Your Stories episode. And Chris is kind of a guest speaker all rolled into one. (laughs) Um, Chris is a very successful personal trainer, mindset and nutrition coach. Um, but he also has type 1 diabetes. So, so Chris shares a lot of his story, but also some really, really great knowledge that he shares with us about uh, training and mindset and, and all things like that. Um, he has also very generously gifted something very special just for diabetic and healthy listeners. So Chris has gifted a three-part video series um, and it's all about how to curb cravings, how to boost energy and how to put a training plan together. So we will provide the link to that uh, with this episode on the website. So thank you so much to Chris for providing that just for us. Uh, Before I get started, just a quick reminder about Diabetic and Healthy on social media. We do have a Facebook page and two Facebook groups. The groups are Diabetic and Healthy Community and also Type 1 Fit. So if you aren't already, please do get involved with those. Um, Diabetic and Healthy is on Instagram. It's diabetic underscore and underscore healthy. And of course, there's a podcast that you're listening to right now. Please do hit subscribe so that you never miss a show. Okay, so this is me interviewing Chris McMahon. Hi, Chris. How are you? Oh, I am good. Thank you so much for having me here. No problem at all. Thank you for coming on. How How is your day so far? I know it's morning now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's pretty good. So my mornings really start. They, I, I'm up and I start at 4 a.m. That's just how I like what? to do things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard. It's hard. It's not hard. I'm given like the opportunity to understand, you know, life with a small child and a wife. And, you know, I, I, but for me, I work best when it's like really quiet in the house. So that's when I get like my, my stuff done. Oh, that's like your, your, oh, okay. That's like your concentration time. Yeah. I have like a morning routine I love to stick to. And I, I do it like, some t- like yesterday I was up at seven cause it's Sunday, mm-hmm. but I still did my morning routine. It's just the amount of time for each thing changes. Yeah. So, yeah. so I've learned, I've learned over the last few years, if I get up early, I can get everything that I, <laughs> you can I fit everything in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so do you go to bed super early? Yeah. So I do. So we, we try to be upstairs. Our son goes down, he's in bed by like seven 30. And then my wife, my wife and I will watch a little something on TV. You know, she loves watching The Bachelor and things like that. So I will, I'll stick around and watch that with her. <laughs> and, and then uh, we're we're usually in bed by by at least nine p.m. 
Oh, okay, I guess. cool. So yeah, you're, still, yeah. you're still getting a decent amount of sleep. You're just getting up at a crazy hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get about seven hours of sleep. Um, there are nights where like I'll, I'll be in bed by 8.30. Um, if I'm I have a hard training, yeah, if I have a, if I have a hard training session or I know I have a stack day, like, like Mondays are a stack day. So last night I was in bed by like eight 25 mm-hmm. and you know, I just find my body likes to wake up. I don't really need my alarm anymore. My body just likes to wake up at that time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. So you have very kindly agreed to come on today and tell us a bit about you and your story. So you have type one diabetes. Yes, I do. And tell us a little bit about your diagnosis. Yeah. You know, it's it's crazy because I've talked about this a lot, but every time this comes up, it's so strange for me. I've now been alive longer with diabetes than without diabetes. Oh, you've hit that dipping point. I've hit that <laughs> dipping point. It's very weird to think about it. But um, when I was 10 years old, I, I was dealing a lot with stomach aches, a lot of different stomach aches. And in the beginning, a lot of it was, you know, I had a stomach ache and, I, and then I didn't want to go to school. So I would just say, I have a stomach ache. And I started to say it a lot, but then it actually like, it actually really did start happening a lot. I would have these horrible, horrible stomach aches. And I spent the year going in and out of the hospital, doing CAT scans, doing MRIs. They could not figure out what it was. They thought I had an ulcer and on a whim, you know, it was, it was in June, June of 2000. And my, my father had taken me to the pediatrician and the pediatrician was just going to give me some I guess like some bloating medicine or something for my stomach. Yeah, and my yeah. dad was like, you know, why don't you just, why don't you just test them for diabetes? Like, why don't you just do a diabetes test? You know, my, my uncle has diabetes. My, my cousin had like, my dad was listing all these people, mm-hmm. but the doctor didn't want to do it. Cause I was a healthy 10 year old boy. And also I'm adopted. So on my oh, medical so record family, yeah. Like yeah. on my medical records, there apparently was no history of diabetes, no history of heart disease, no disease of history of anything. So the doctors were like, I don't know. And my dad convinced them. And by three o'clock that afternoon, they were like, oh yeah, you have diabetes. Oh, I wow. Can, I can remember it. Uh, they, I don't know if they did this with you. I, I know certain people where they are, like if you're in, you know, ketoacidosis if you're like in a danger zone like yeah you clearly have it they're not going to do this with you yeah. but for me uh it was basically like my last rights meal they they're like <laughs> go out and eat the most lavish meal you could possibly eat so as a 10 year old oh, wow. like, they actually told you that because i was in this stage where uh when you're diagnosed very early on with diabetes for everyone out there who is diagnosed early you know this you're in this honeymoon phase where your pancreas is still producing insulin Mm-hmm. So as a 10 year old boy, I could get away with eating whatever I want. And yeah, I might have to go to the bathroom, maybe like it, it, but it your happened. Body was coping with it. My body was coping with it. The, the only trigger now that I think about it was like, I, I, I was wetting the bed and I was like a 10 year old and I had never done that. I hadn't done that since I was like maybe three. Yeah. So I just thought it was a really embarrassing thing, but it was actually like diabetes, yeah. like kicking yeah, in. Yeah. And so I went for this meal and I had, I can remember, I had a Belgian waffle with like syrup. I had an <laughs> omelet. I had two bowls of frosted flakes. I had like a glass of orange juice. And like, so I did all this. All the sugar. <laughs> all the sugar. And they took me back and then they had me do the test. And my blood sugar was about like 300, 350 because I had eaten all that. And they were like, yep, you got to go back. And that was, that was right at the end of, uh, 
right at the end of the school year for me. So I was out for like a couple of weeks mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of the school year in the hospital, learning how to do everything myself. My parents were there, but I, I really, like, I was so determined to know how to do it myself, like at that age. And yeah, I, don't I was going to say, why. it's not that age where you, uh, I don't know, I suppose it's, yeah, you're finding your independence, aren't you at that age? So yeah. And there's something about like, putting a needle in your thigh or in your butt, you don't really want your mom doing it for you at that age. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was like a big thing of it. But yeah, so now I've been living as a type one diabetic for 20 years now. So it's, it's, it's just strange because I've seen so much change. What year, what year were you diagnosed or how long ago were you diagnosed? So I was 18. Um, I'm now 33. Okay. So yeah. So in that time, You've seen so much change. Yeah, yeah, like oh, yeah I, definitely. I can I can remember going on my first insulin pump uh, a year later, so 2001, and it was a Medtronic pump, and it was like the size of a brick, like it had, <laughs> and and it had like a Velcro cover, like it would have this Velcro cover that kept it from getting like anything on it, and I just remember there were no there were no flexible needles at the time, so it was like a long lancet needle that oh. would like sit. And here I was, this active kid, and I was not. I bet I, every I, time you knocked it or anything, yes, it was like, oh. I was, <laughs> was also a really scrawny kid. Like, like I was just super skinny. Like my senior year of, of high school and my freshman year of college, I weighed like 117 pounds. So, and I was, I was five foot ten. So I was just a very <laughs> lanky, skinny kid. And like we, so, we'd say so, lanky over here. I don't know if yeah. you knew that. <laughs> Lank, I was. I was like a beanpole. I was yeah. literally like the scarecrow in Wizard of Oz. Like that was me. I was just I was all limbs. And <laughs> that's not great when you've got to stick things in yourself. <laughs> like, no, no, no. And it was so so cool to just see like everything I track now is on my phone. Like if mm-hmm. I could have went back in time and told myself I'd be like a cyborg. Yeah. Like I'd, I would have totally like, been this is quite cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, I would have been like, oh, this is fine. Like, the, oh, what? The pump is going to adjust for me? What? You're going to have a CGM? Oh, okay. Like, it's just like, it's crazy. Um, so you are on a pump now? I Yeah, yeah. Assuming, yeah, yeah. So have you always stayed on pump? Do you ever? I mean, I've never had a pump, but I know people that do have pumps that like a break every now and then. Yeah, so I have been on a pump since 2011. I've never stopped. There was a brief period of time and I, I definitely had to do with me being a teenager where I did not want to listen. Like I was about, I was about 14. I, I remember this in, in school. I don't know how it is now in school. It's probably even more restrictive, but they would not let me test my blood sugar in class. They would make me leave class, go to the nurse's office, have to sign a log book, like do all this stuff. And I remember being 14 being like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So I, I used to I, just, there was a boy in my class who of course at the time I knew nothing about diabetes, but he was type one. And I can remember that he wasn't allowed, you know, he wasn't allowed food in class. He wasn't allowed his dextrose in class. So yeah, he always had to go off to like the medical room um, yeah. to ask if he could have some dextrose or to, you know, and it was like, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. And it was just <laughs> like, like okay. now, you know, I didn't understand at the time, but now I'm like, that must've been really crappy. Like it was, it was really, really hard. So it got to be where I would, I would hide it. I would just do it myself. And I did not want to be told by anyone what to do. Like I was really stubborn and I started to snack on candy. I wanted to eat with what my friends were doing. And then my, 
I would, I would, uh, this is so bad to talk about, but I would, I would lie about my blood sugar to Mm -hmm. the nurse. And I had, so then I would go to my endocrinologist appointment and I would have this log book filled with fictitious, like numbers. (laughs) Beautiful numbers. (laughs) And like my A1C came back once and it was like eight something, like it was nine something. And they were like, what are you doing? Yeah, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yeah. And the doctor, I, I'm so thankful that my mother had picked this doctor who was just so strict. He, I remember thinking he was such a hard ass. Like I did not like him. I did not understand like why he would talk down to me this way. And he would look at me and he was like, you are going to die. Like you are going to die. If you continue doing this, like you are 14, you think you're invincible. You're going to come in and you're going to be missing a toe or you are going to go blind, or you are not going to make it to like your 30th birthday if you do this. And you and needed I, that tough love. <laughs> I needed, I needed yeah. it. And that like flipped it for me. That like, just, that was the moment I was just like, okay. <laughs> I don't want to die. <laughs> yeah, I don't want yeah. that. I don't want that. And it, it really changed it for me. You know, my A1C is now 5.6. Like it's wow, just, yeah, it's, luck. yeah. So it's just like, the reframe of it, like not everyone needs it to be that harsh at that age, but understanding that, no, you totally are in control of this. Mm -hmm. It's just the decisions you're making, like they're your decisions to make. So whatever you're doing, like it can either help or it can hurt. You know, you're learning either way. I'm so grateful that that happened to me because it, it set me down a different path. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, it's understandable at that age, no one wants to be different. You know, you, you do anything, you know, we get a bit older and we get braver and it's cool to be unique, but at that time it's, you want to fit in, you know, you never want to like stand out from the crowd or. Yeah. And it was like, at that age, my defense mechanism, and it's still like a defense, is like to crack a joke. So I made fun of myself all the time for having diabetes. So I was the kid. I, you know, I had braces for like nine years. I wore glasses. I, I was adopted. I had diabetes. I had all these things that were like a target. I did, mu- I did musicals. I did theater. I did all of these things that were like almost like a target yeah. on my back because kids yeah. are cruel. And yeah, I chose, yeah. I chose to be like, no, I'm going to like, I'm going to acknowledge this and I'm going to be the first one to <laughs> crack the joke myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to notice that these things, of course, they're easy to pick on or, or make fun of, but like, it's just, it's kids being, being confused and not, not understanding. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately it's par for the course. I like to think the world is a little bit different now than when, when I was in school. So here's open. So going through school, did you know what you wanted to do when you left? Did you know what you wanted to do as a career? Yeah. So when I graduated, I went right off to university. I went to NYU and I majored in uh, vocal performance. So I majored in, in theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wanted to be an actor. Like that was the one thing I always wanted to do. I, I had been doing it since I was a little kid. Actually, the first show I was ever in, I, I was 10. So it was like the same year that I, I was diagnosed with diabetes. And I just knew that it in my bones, what I wanted to do was be in front of people and, and talk and, and get to be someone else, you know, get to, get to escape for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I went through all four years. I graduated and I, I was performing. I was doing all these different shows and all these different opportunities. I, I was able to, to 
to be on film and do all these different things. And what actually was really cool was my sophomore year of, of uni, uh, my uh, show I was in, they were like, hey, look, you have to you have to work out. You have to be bulk up for this because right now you look malnourished and you're playing. <laughs> oh, you're playing. <laughs> yeah, because I again, I was I was gently. so I was so lanky. They were like, you you look sickly and you're playing like a super tough character. You have to go go work out. So I again, I, I go one hundred and fifty percent on something if I'm going to go in on it. And I reached out to my buddy who was uh, going to school at the time for kinesiology and, and, and personal training. He, he was studying to become a trainer. Uh, and I was like, Hey, look, they're telling me I need to work out. I don't know what I'm doing. The last time I went to the gym, I couldn't put my arms down at my side for like a week. Like, I was so <laughs> I remember this, it was my so freshman, year, freshman year and I had to have my complete stranger roommate, like change me. Cause I could not <laughs> put my arms down. I, I was not, I was never like an athlete, like a true athlete. And I did not like exercising. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it, but I was like, no, I have to do this. And I was like, will you train me? And he was like, ah, well, I've never trained anyone before. Sure. So, <laughs> so for, study. <laughs> yeah. So it was about, it was about uh, five to six days a week. I, I was training and I went from eating like 1200 calories to about almost 5,000 calories a day. Oh, wow. And <laughs> Two protein, sessions protein, a day, <laughs> yeah, and two sessions a day, and at the end of the summer, I had put on about forty-five pounds. Whoa! So I went back, and I was like this big, bulky. Hey, I'm back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was like it, but like I noticed this huge change, not only in my confidence, but in my blood sugar, in my ability to have energy, mm-hmm. uh, in my ability to talk to to uh, women and have, have a conversation in that way. Like it just it changed so much for me. And in that moment, it became a part of my life mm-hmm. that, that I started to exercise every single day in some shape or form. Um, but when I graduated from, from college, I didn't want to become a waiter. I didn't want to do that, that stereotypical thing. I wanted to own my schedule. I wanted to be able to go to auditions and that same guy who Tim, that same, my, my, he was my best man at my wedding. He's godfather of my son. He, he, said, Hey, why don't you come work at this gym with me? Like I've been working here now for, for like half a year, I can get you an interview. Like, why don't you come be a trainer? And I was like, I don't, I don't know any anatomy. I don't know. <laughs> like I follow the programs you give me. I follow what's in men's health. I don't, I, I should not be training people. It's like, look, they will take you. And as a part of being a new trainer there, you have to go through their training institute. Like you oh, become a trainer cool. and then, yes, yeah, it's, it's this gym Equinox. They, they, they're big there. They're, they have, I think they have a location in the UK. I might be wrong, but their, their big thing is education. Like they pour a lot of money into their trainers. Mm-hmm. Um, of course you do have to do like floor shifts where you wear like a blue shirt and you hand out towels and you yeah. spend like, <laughs> I remember my first couple months working there. I worked seven days a week. Like I worked Monday through Sunday and like, it was crazy hours but I, I went in, interviewed, got the job and like fitness just became like another layer, mm-hmm. but the, and there was a lot of, there was a lot of fight back with it internally because what happened was I was so fascinated by it. I was so fascinated by like helping people and like, yeah, my first training session, 
this guy signed up to train with me and I had never trained anyone before I'd been in class for maybe two classes. And I was like, I don't know program design. I don't know anything like, but by the end of the session, he was like, Hey, I really needed that. Thank you. I was like, I was like, I was like, what did you need? He's like, you listened to me. Like you listened to what I was saying. And like, you got me to move my body and like, I feel good. And he went up to the front and he bought like a whole pack of training sessions with me. And I was like, okay, like, I I guess, (laughs) I guess I can do this. And like that, that's my biggest piece of advice for anything is like, take messy action, do it. Like the, the, the world will keep turning. If you make a mistake, like the world's not going to stop. Like it's another example. Like when I was 14, the world didn't stop. I I made a mistake, but it kept going and I was able to pivot. And the same thing with health and fitness. Like I was able to act, I was able to do this job at this gym and slowly but surely I realized I could ask questions. And if you ask questions and you're humble, people want to help you. And I was working at a flagship location where these, they used to do it in tiers. I don't know how they do it anymore, but basically like you're a tier one when you start and then you can make it all the way to the select group that only certain clubs have that is tier X. Oh, cool. And our club happened to have these trainers who had years of experience for that particular tier, they spend about $25,000 on education per trainer. So like I had these people who had all this knowledge and I would be like, Hey, look, I don't know how to do this, or I'm not sure how to program for this person. And they would all be like, okay, cool. I'll help you, but you have to actually do the work and come with questions Mm -hmm. and do. And I did every single time, every single time I meet someone new, like I, I pride myself on not coming in with this ego of like, Oh, they're doing, I know everything. Right. Right. (laughs) It's like, ask questions. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, no, like, even if, even if you do have more experience than someone else, you have not lived the same story as that person. Right. So it's like, it's like you and I, like we have two different experiences with diabetes. Mm -hmm. We both probably know a lot about it at this time, but our interaction and our story of how we got to where we are is completely different. So it's so cool to get to talk with you to get to talk to someone else who has this experience because you're probably going to say something I've never thought of before or like have thought of, but not in that light. But and not, it's, yeah, yeah. Right. So that's what my health and fitness journey has been like. It's just ask questions, learn. And slowly but surely I realized, Oh, I'm actually, I'm more passionate and I enjoy doing this more than I enjoy like acting and auditioning. I want to help people. Oh, so it like overtook. (laughs) It overtook. It overtook until I I ended up leaving that gym. I started working for this other online company, GMB Fitness. I became one of their head coaches with, uh, and I had a mentor there. And like, I ended up leading the the trainers who they would bring on and like created mentorship and would help build it out and do all this stuff. And I traveled the world teaching seminars and doing all this stuff. And like, now I run my own coaching business and it's just, it's been quite a journey, but it's, it's just so exciting to, to learn and to share and to grow and to not ever think someone is wrong for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like I'll never poo poo someone's idea of what it is to move their body or what it is to eat and nourish their body or decisions of that nature. Because again, everyone has their own journey. Like, I'm just excited you're moving your body. I'm just excited you're eating. Like, cause that's an awesome opportunity that not a lot of people get to have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's crazy to think 
I wonder if you hadn't had to bulk up for that role, like when you would have found fitness, because I, something you're so passionate about now, I can't believe that never would have happened. And you, you just, you know, that opportunity didn't come up and you were still, you know, acting and stuff and not into your fitness now. I'm sure it would have found you another way at some point. Do you, do you feel that? I think it would have, because for me, I don't know if you've had this, but for me, like I, I've had severe anxiety and depression for most of my life that went undiagnosed. And then a wonderful thing called therapy came into my life. And I realized <laughs> that, oh yeah, this has been a thing for a long time. And what it was is training, like lifting weights and moving my body in that way became my outlet for, for anger, for anxiety, for all, all of these things that like, I didn't play a sport. So it's like, this was how I got that frustration out. So I think at some point in my life, mentally, I probably would have needed it. Mm-hmm. And someone probably would have told me, hey, you should really try like a yoga class or you should really try like going to my CrossFit gym with me or you should because re- I've been fortunate enough to have friends and family mm-hmm. who are always like, hey, you should probably try this. And I would like to think that in my life, I've been pretty open to, oh yeah, I'll give it a try. Yeah, I'll give it a go. And then you would have found it. Yeah. 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 No, I'm a hundred percent with you there. I always say to people that going to the gym is my therapy. Like that's my, that's when my head gets a rest. Like it's just, yeah, yeah, I can go in there so stressed or so on edge or whatever it is. And it doesn't matter how tough it is to, to step in there feeling like that. Like by the time I finished, I'm like, I come out a new person. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. So here's a question for you. When you don't get that opportunity, like you're in lockdown right now and we're in, we're in lockdown. I'm very fortunate that we have like a, a movement space at home. My wife is a teacher, oh, so she's yeah. using it as her remote teaching spot right now. Yeah. Uh, but it's our gym in our house. When we lived in New York city, we lived in a studio. So literally we had no space at all. Yeah. So I've, I've done it both ways where I have a space to exercise at home where I didn't have a space to exercise at home. What are, what are some other forms of like self-care or like headspace clearing things that you can do for yourself? When like I, what, when I'm not, when I can't get to the gym. Yeah. Especially with um, lockdown now, yeah. like you can't go yeah. to the gym. Yeah. The first, the first lockdown, I really struggled because the first lockdown, they closed the nurseries as well. Mm. So not only did I not have a gym, I also had no child free time. <laughs> To, to really have some time for me, whether that's to work out or, or do anything, you know what it's like with a, a young one. <laughs> um, so yeah, I really, I had to get a bit creative in that, in the first lockdown. Um, but definitely mental health wise, I, I, I really struggled. Um, so I, I had to get myself in a new routine and I would get up and I was literally just doing little home workouts, but I was making sure I did a little bit every morning, you know, even if it was 20 minutes and then my son got up and interrupted me cause I was making sure I got up really early so I could fit it in before I was getting like jumped on. <laughs> um, but even, yeah, even just getting up and doing 20 minutes was like, oh yeah, that's just like rescued my head for the day. <laughs> um, in this lockdown, my son still goes to nursery part-time. So that's, that's cool. Cause I've still got those opportunities. Um, again, I'm doing some home workouts. I was, we've only been in proper lockdown a couple of weeks now. So the gym's closed a couple of weeks ago. Um, the first week I wasn't very well anyway. So that was workouts out the window. And then because I got out of that routine, I didn't really do much last week just because I'd had that week break. 
Um, I didn't do that much. I did some more walking. We've got a dog, so it's a good good excuse to get out with a dog. Um, and then I just today I just started doing um, workouts again. So I, I literally did a workout first thing this morning, um, just like resistance bands and some body weight stuff. Just I just put some music on ridiculously loud should probably apologize to neighbors uh, and uh yeah I was I didn't even have a plan I was like I'm gonna whack you know whack the music up and let's see what happens and oh. and that was cool this morning so <laughs> that's so powerful I love that I love that so the number one thing that you said off the bat that caught me was like I didn't move my body I felt out of sorts so I just took 20 minutes and that's what I really encourage like all of my clients to do is like we have to let go of the expectation that we have, especially if we have kids. If we have kids, it's really easy to have this expectation that, all right, so before I had a kid, I was going to the gym. You know, I was doing like an hour and a half session. I was going to say an hour and a half was like my, yeah. you know, like for me, like working as like a fitness professional, having to or getting to travel and teach like these seminars that are multi days, I was training my body so I could work up to like three hours without breaking a sweat because I needed to be able to sustain. So that mm -hmm. became ingrained with me. All right. I need to move my body for this amount of time. I need to stretch so I can get this amount of time. Right. So it became this thing, which was like a downfall for me because like, yeah, totally mindset. Like if I didn't get this done, then I was X or yeah, Y. Yeah. If I don't like exercise, if you haven't done that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, that's a story that I then tell myself. And this is another thing with, with anyone I work with. It's, we have stories that we tell ourselves, and we place attachment to that story. When in fact, all it is, is a story. It's fiction, right? You're an amazing human being. Like you moved your body, but you also like, you're able to be strong enough to be present with your son to spend time doing that. Mm -hmm. Right. So that you're amazing. You're an amazing mother. Like you have all these opportunities, all these things, right. Whoever's listening to this, you're an amazing person right now for taking time to put this in your ear and listen to it. Mm -hmm. You're giving yourself that opportunity and anyone who works with me, like, that's it. Like we need to understand that these excessive expectations that we set for ourselves are actually what brings us down into that failure mindset. It's like, do I need to actually move 60 minutes or if I wake up and get out of bed in the morning and do like five push-ups, I've moved my body. Yeah. Like you could <laughs> yeah. check, you can literally check that off. Like, oh, I did move my body today. What else can I get done in five minutes? Right. Yeah. So that's where that whole morning routine comes into. It's mm -hmm. like, I met, I, I meditate 10 minutes. I read 10 minutes and then I write in my journal for five minutes. That's like my routine or some shape of that. Yeah. And it's like, wow, you can actually get so much done in that time. In a short space of time. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So what is your, what's your kind of workout schedule like now? Cause now you have, so your little one is not, did you say nine months? Yeah. He's nine months, nine months old. Um, so do you, do you try and plan your workouts now or is it a case of I'll, I'll get it done when he's in bed or I'll, I'll, I'll oh, see if yeah. he has a nap or. <laughs> yeah, I love this. So like I said, I wake up at 4 a.m. Um, so generally for that hour, like four, four to 5 a.m., I'll, I'll meditate, I'll read, I'll journal, I'll mm -hmm. plan out for the day what has to get done. Like mm -hmm. I, I, every time I journal, I'll do like meditation thoughts. I will do like particular quotes or something that inspired me from whatever I was reading. And then I will pick my top three priorities for the day. I never have more than three. 
That's I never so have good. more. See, my downfall is I used to write lists of like 20 things like, Psh, yeah, yes. I can do that in a day. Right. And then when I, I only get five done, I'm like, no. <laughs> right. Right. I, I did the same thing. I used to have post-it notes littered all over my desk. I would just make chronic lists because it's so satisfying to check something off. Yeah, but yeah. then I would then I had to check in with myself and be like, oh man, that's just me wanting to give myself a pat on the back. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Because it's like, yeah, of course, I'm going to take out the trash. Like, I don't want the house to smell horrible. Here's a question. Have you ever done something that wasn't on the list and then added it to the list so you could tick it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So now so now what I do is I stick with three things and there are three things for my business. So I have a business coach, Jess Glazer, and she likes to think uh, IPA, income producing activity. Okay. So those are like, but you can also translate that outside of work. What are the IPAs? it's not income. It could just be whatever you want it to be that is producing whatever outcome you want. Mm -hmm. So it's what is the action I can take that's going to take me one step closer to the ideal version of myself that I want to be. What is the smallest thing I can do? So for me, moving my body, that takes me one step closer. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I'll, I'll do that for the first hour from four to five or four to four forty-five. Um, maybe I'll do some client programming in that time too, because it's so quiet. I can really focus in. And then from five to 6am, I work out and my wife will come down. She usually joins me for the tail half. She'll be in the middle of hers. When I'm done, I take the dog out. I go upstairs. I shower for five minutes. I set a timer on my watch because it's really easy to sit in the shower and just oh, be yeah. like, okay. <laughs> it's so, so nice I, in here. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm very time oriented. I time it out five minutes and 30 seconds is about, I can wash my hair, get everything done. And then I, I wake my son up. I, I get to see my son wake up every morning at about seven and I give him his first bottle. My wife and I sing to him every morning because she oh. he loves singing and he loves music. And my dog wakes him up too and licks him. And like, it's this whole routine we have. And then we go about our business. Um, so I schedule it in, but on weekends, that's a great example when like, I, I still get up about four thirty five o'clock, but I'm slower with things because it's the mm -hmm. weekend. My body needs a second. And my wife and I will try to work out together from 6 to 7 a.m. If it doesn't happen, then what we'll do is we'll either work out when he goes down for his first nap. So that could be, you know, ideally he's at the stage where it's still about an hour and a half to two hours where he naps. Yeah. We use that time to clean and to exercise. Like that's literally yeah. <laughs> what it is on the weekends. Um, but during the, when he was really young and he would only nap for like 10 minute increments and he would wake up. This is what I would do. I would pick like one movement and I would do that movement while he was napping, whether it be squats, whether it be push-ups, whether it be lunges, whether it be like some pull-ups, like I would, I would just pick one activity and I would do it. I would do like a set of like five to eight. I would rest, see if he's still sleeping, see if he's breathing with the mirror. Again. <laughs> I was super nervous and then I would go yeah. again. It's so it's, it's really about what can I do in this time period that is both time efficient and allows me to move? Maybe I need to stretch more today because I'm really feeling super sore. I slept. I, when we had our son, my wife was diagnosed COVID positive when she went into labor. Oh, nightmare. So it was crazy because I had never held a newborn before, let alone changed a diaper before. So I was on full-time daddy duty for those first two weeks because my wife was recovering from producing a human, mm -hmm. an amazing feat of strength, but it requires time to recover. Yeah. And also like quarantining, keeping us safe. She oh likes, she sacrificed so much for us. She's one of the strongest humans I know. And, but that meant I was sleeping on the couch 
with my son, like two feet away from me. Yeah. Like not really sleeping. Cause at the time we were waking up every three hours with him. So that was when I needed to really dial it in and be like, okay, no, you need to have like routine. You need to create this for yourself. You, you can do this. And it was like, all right, I'm going to just, my workouts are going to be five minutes. And I was okay with it. Cause it's like, but that's so good because it's so easy to go. Oh, do you know what? I don't have time to work out anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. And so drop easy. it off a priority list. Yeah, it's so it's so easy. And the thing that that saves me, and the thing that saves clients, and the thing that might be a game changer for you is checking in on what your core values are. What are the things in my life that are that are so necessary and are non negotiables? Well, for, for, for me, my core values are unconditional love, family, balance, trust. Like those are the, those are the four that always come up. Mm-hmm. And if I make a decision, that's a big one. I always go back to those values. Is it taking me one step closer to that, those values, which technically would make me some ideal version of myself, or is it taking me further away? So moving my body five minutes a day. Oh yeah. That's definitely taking me closer to that ideal person not moving my body and being cranky and being sore all the time, that's taking me further away. Mm-hmm. That's taking me out of balance. That's taking me away from that unconditional love because I'm pushing others away. So it's a, it's a nice little thing you can do with yourself. You could just say, who is that ideal version of myself? What does that person do? What activities would I participate in, in health and fitness? That ideal version of myself. Do you know, this is going to follow on so nicely from the previous podcast, which is all about, I speak to um, a lady that's local to me called Nick, um, and she is a a, a body and mind coach. Um, And yeah, she talks loads about core values. And in the podcast episode, the most recent one, we talk about um, finding your why. So this is like... (laughs) yeah. This is, this is fluke, but it's done it like this, but it is following on really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. You need that. If you don't have a why, or if you haven't taken time to, to think of it, here's how I do it. And you could tell me if this is what she did. Um, I, I do something called the five whys. So it's, it's stating whatever goal you have. So we can have a goal. So if the goal is to, uh, I don't know, lose 10 pounds, you then take it one step further. Okay. I want to lose 10 pounds. Why? Then, then you have to really think about it for a second. Okay, I want to lose 10 pounds because I want to fit in my pair of jeans that I wore before my son was born. Okay, cool. Why? why? <laughs> uh, I, well, I want to do, and what happens is by asking yourself why five times, you really have to distill it down to like the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, we did it a couple times. And then it's like, oh, well, well, when I was working out, like when I was like five years ago, I had more energy. I felt better. I slept better. I, okay. So like, that is your why Mm -hmm. you want to have more energy. You want to feel better in your body. You want to have confidence. You want to have, those are things that feel like they're not as tangible, but what they are is now we can look at it and then we can go, okay, the 10 pounds is an outcome. Like that's an outcome. What are the, your motivator? Yeah. It's the outcome. So then what are the actionable or behavior-based habits that we can do together to get you there? Mm -hmm. And I, I have everyone focus on smaller things. So it's like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Yeah. I could do 60 minute workouts or what it could be is, Oh, I could just focus on having a balanced plate, three meals today. Like that's, Oh, cool. Right. That seems much more bite-sized. That's like, I can deal with that. 
I'm not overwhelmed by that. Yeah. And that was a great, great way of looking at it and and coming at it. (laughs) Um, so you, so what, what kind of title do you use now? Are you a, your body coach, a mind coach? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a health and mindset coach. So health, yeah, health kind of falls into that category of nutrition training and mindset is really what allows us to do any of that stuff. So if we're not in alignment with our goals, with our values, then those other things are going to be really, really hard. Mm -hmm. So it's like a trifecta. We really need to be present in every decision we're making and know why we're making those decisions. We need to know our why. We need to know those values, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what kind of, I mean, do you have a real variety of clients? Do you find that a certain type of person comes to you for training or... Yeah. So, so for a long time, uh, based off what I was doing, I was very popular in the calisthenic body weight world. So I would get all sorts of folks who would come to me and be like, Oh, I would really want to get my like handstand. I really want to do like, Oh yeah. Uh, I've ring muscle. It is, yeah. It is right? incredible. Yeah. So, so like I would get a lot of folks doing that, but then slowly, but surely what started to happen is like, it would become, well, you know, I really just want to be able to keep up with my kids uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a deadline at work and I'm just so stressed all the time. Like I want to deal with that. So what it started to turn into is I, I, I would help a lot of my friends and they just happened to have kids. So what it started to turn into is I was helping all these people make more time in their life. Even though we have like, we have 1,440 minutes in a day, you can get a lot done in that amount of time. Right. So it's, so it's, turned into where I was helping them navigate time, navigate like nutrition, navigate training, and it all came back to mindset. And then it started to turn into, oh, I have a kid now. I totally can get like, now I even understand even more of where folks are coming from. So it started to turn into, I worked with a lot of busy parents and a lot of busy professionals. And I helped them pretty much lose weight, move pain-free, get stronger without spending hours in the gym. Like you can get a lot done in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessary. You can look at that from nutrition. You can look at that from training. You can look at it from anything you're doing. 30 minutes is a lot. 10 minutes is a lot. Time is like whatever we want, whatever value we want to give to it. But I will say it is the most valuable asset you have. So yeah. Cool. And you're obviously loving what you're doing. You can tell you're really passionate about it. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> uh, is there something about it? It's just... You know, I had this amazing life pre-COVID uh, where I was working for this company. I made my own hours. It was, it was true autonomy. I decided what I was doing. And yet I woke up every morning just feeling sad, like feeling like there was something untapped. And, you know, so my son was born and we were dealing with quarantine we're dealing with covid and two days after we came home from the hospital i was actually let go from my job the company downsized so i here i was unemployed with this son a wife my wife was on medical leave from her job as a teacher so it was like what am i going to do like i thought i well normally if there wasn't quarantine i probably just would have applied and became a trainer at that Mm. same company i started at yeah but fortunate for me we were in lockdown and my wife was like no now's your time. You need to start your business. You need to start this coaching business. You've been coaching people, but now you need to really step into like 
coach what you want to coach. Mm. You have no, no one is restricting you. No one is holding you back. You talk about what you want to talk about and you do the thing that lights a fire under you. And now is exactly why I'm in alignment. I feel so much gratitude every single day for every opportunity, good, bad, whatever it is, because it provides me with a different outlook. Mm-hmm. It gives me a different lens to look at life with. And that's exactly how I coach my clients. It's why I created uh, this 90-day coaching program I do. It's like a small coaching group, and it's called Project Aligned and Alive. And exactly that's because that's how I live. That's, that's what I do, and it's what's helped hundreds of clients that I've worked with is finding alignment so that you feel like you are truly living a life that is value-oriented, value-goal-oriented, and makes you feel satisfied. Like you wake up and you know, oh no, this is exactly what I need to do today. So I can yeah. feel this, this, this untapped potential being fulfilled. Like it's, it's there. It's there for all of us. It's there for you. It's there for whoever's listening to this. It's just a matter of dialing it in and figuring out what it is, you know. And do you find, because you have this, this routine and you said you do this kind of this kind of ritual almost in the morning um does that help with your blood sugar management as well do you find because you're doing kind of similar things and you know you've you've got structure to your day yes yes so that's the number one thing when i when i was first diagnosed they were like you have to write down your numbers and i was like a 10 year old and i was like i'm not doing that it was <laughs> yeah. just it's not i'm not counting carbs i'm not going to do that like i'm going to wing it and now at this age, after 20 years with this, having routine is totally it. I could tell you exactly what's going to happen to my blood sugar at what time of day based off of what I'm putting in my body. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you follow, follow these folks, uh, mastering diabetes, but they have this great concept of what they use and they're called decision trees. So a decision tree, and, and you can find out more on their website, but a decision tree is basically like, what's my blood sugar right now? What's the basal rate or what is the bolus? What am I going to give myself in this moment? What is my blood sugar like two hours later? What is the food I ate? What is the amount of carbs I ate? Like what are, what, what, uh, current, like other activities am I exercising before exercising after? Mm -hmm. And what that allows you to do is actually see in real time. Or if you wear a CGM, like we're the best sort of guinea pigs for any sort of lifestyle change we're going to make because we can see in real time. How does this stress affect my blood sugar? Mm-hmm. Like, how is this stress? Is it an external stress? Is it stress from the workday? Is it stress from a workout? Is it stress from like, from lack of sleep, too much sleep, like the food I'm eating? So there are all these things that we can, we, we learn, but the only way to actually learn is we have to be open to observing, open mm-hmm. to be present, which is really hard for a lot of us. But I bet you, you, especially you're, you're so in tune with your body. Like, you know, exactly like, uh, I'm feeling kind of tired right now. I know what's happening right now. And in that second, you can make a decision like, Oh, am I gonna, am I gonna get up and go for a walk? So then my blood sugar is coming back down, or am mm-hmm. I going to sit here for another hour and kind of ignore it? Like what, it, what are the choices I'm going to yeah. make? And it's yeah. interesting because I, so, um, in the UK, so we have the NHS, so our insulin and things like that are on the NHS. Um, CGMs aren't. Pumps are, but you have to sit, uh, fit a very certain criteria. Um, so what the, the probably most advanced thing we get on the NHS at the moment is, is the Libra. 
of a freestyle Libra. So you have to scan it, but it's obviously a big step on from, from finger pricks. Um, but what I did find initially is I kind of lost touch with, like, I didn't feel my blood sugars in the same way anymore. Whereas where, when I was finger pricking, you know, you get a bit of a feeling and you think, and, and it might be that it's fine. It might just be that I haven't checked it in a while and you think, oh, I probably should just check on it, but you know, it's fine. Um, but you can feel the lows and you can feel the highs. Whereas I did find when I first got the Libra and I was able to just, you know, scan, 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 scan. Um, and then I was overcorrecting and I was doing this. And because I wasn't, I wasn't in tune with the feeling of my blood sugars doing anything. I was just looking at a number and going, oh, it's too high. Oh, it's too low, you know? Um, so when my senses run out now, cause they last for like two weeks, I'll normally have like a week in between where I just go back to finger pricks. And that's my way of kind of tuning back in <laughs> and not just relying on being able to just, just scan and, and see what it is all the time. Yeah. I, I, I actually agree with that 100%. What happened to me is again, because of my diagnosis, like anxiety and depression, I have a level of OCD that is there too, that is present. And if I'm not being aware of it, like if I'm not noticing those ticks, what happened to me is when I first went on a CGM, and this was this was back a couple of years ago when I went on one, uh, I started to obsess. I started to be like, okay, I noticed that it's upward trending. Right now I need to correct. Yes. I need yes. to do this. If I do not do this, something bad is going to happen. Or if it's dipping low, all right, now I had I gotta I have to eat something, otherwise this is gonna go bad. And it was very important for me. You almost been chasing the line all day. Like, yes. Yeah. So what started to happen is I, I muted the alerts I would get on my phone. Like I, because it, it would beep if it was going up, beep if it was going down. And I really just, I had to get used to like just tuning in. All right. I'm feeling a certain way right now. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I have this weird feeling. My, my palms are getting kind of sweaty right now. Oh, my blood sugar is going low. Like I'm feeling that. And like after, after 20 years of diabetes, sometimes you, you do go numb to when those feelings are mm. happening and a CGM can make it more easy to yeah. like, if you do use it that way, it's like, yeah, you're totally not going to recognize mm. when it's happening. So it's like pausing, listening, feeling for a second. Like it's, it's so big beyond even, diabetes too. Even I think questioning it as well, because there's times, you know, you'll scan and think, well, it says I'm low. I don't feel low. Or it says I'm high. I don't feel high. Like oh, yeah. I will always then go and do a finger prick. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe you. I believe like what I'm feeling. Oh, <laughs> Ex- well, 100%. I, I so agree. Especially like it depends. It depends on where you're putting that sensor too. Like sometimes you're wearing it in one spot and it's like, whoa, this is my blood sugar is like 300 right now. That doesn't mean any test. And it's like, oh no, it's like 110. Yeah, that's in a bad spot. Like yeah. it's like yeah. <laughs> you always have to like you can't truly just count on that. You have to be testing diligently still. Like every I'll I'll test before meals. Usually mm-hmm. I still I still test my blood sugar. Yeah. But during the day, like it's kind of nice to to give my fingers a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it it's so important to still be checking in and 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 acknowledging like what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Um if people want to contact you, if people um, have been really inspired by listening to you and think that is the kind of coach I need, <laughs> like, do you do online coaching? And yeah, so yeah, people don't have to be local to you. 
No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I kind of left like in-person training indefinitely now because of, because of quarantine and everything. But for the most part, I've been working as an online coach for probably like three or four years now. So, so it's pretty cool. It's, it's, we can do, we could do nutrition training, uh, regular training, uh, mindset coaching, or all three. So that's why I started that uh, small group coaching because I really do love serving as many people as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And and doing that sort of thing really allows me to, to serve as many people as I can. So if someone wants to get in contact with me, they can go to my website. It's chris dash. McMahon, uh, maybe we can have that link somewhere. Yeah, so it's a yeah, little easier. I will put uh, the link under yeah. Your, and you could website. just, yeah, you could just check it out there or you could follow me. I'm very active on Instagram. Um, so you can find me it's uh, coach dot Chris McMahon and, and totally reach out to me. I, I always talk with everyone pretty much. That's, that's how you and I talked. I, yeah, I like, yeah, yeah I, I don't been like, rubbish at getting back to you. We got yeah, there eventually. I, you know what? I think you're pretty busy, so <laughs> it's very understandable. But yeah, if you reach out to me with any questions or anything like that, and if you want to get an idea of what coaching or training with me is like, I want to offer this to the audience. Uh, I have like this three-part video series where I give you a week worth of programming and training, and I take you through that and. I take you through my top tips to boost your energy and curb your cravings. So it's this whole video series I have. So I, I would love to give that and I'll give you the link for that. So you can oh, share it with amazing. anyone. I absolutely, I want you to get an idea of what it's like to work yeah, with yeah. me before you actually try to work with me. <laughs> um, so that that's for everyone in your audience, anyone who wants to check oh, it out. Amazing. Little yeah. try before you buy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Um, I'm sure lots of people would take advantage of that now. That's a really great idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we go, is there anything, say someone is newly diagnosed um, with type one, whether that's, you know, whether they're a teenager or an adult or a child, even what, what advice would you give them? Thinking about maybe how you felt when you were diagnosed compared to ha- how you see diabetes now. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> I, there is. I think the number one thing is tell someone how you're feeling. I think that, you know, for me, I can remember being diagnosed. I was 10 and I remember being in the hospital and I remember them coming over and confirming again, I was, I was diabetic and my mom was sitting at the edge, like by my head. And my dad was by the edge and they both cried. Like they, they sobbed. They, they, because they knew that life was changing for me, but I was 10. So I didn't understand that. Instead of saying anything, I just, I remember just like hugging them. I didn't cry. I didn't, but I never, I didn't (laughs) ask. I didn't ask. I just, I knew that life was changing, but I didn't say anything. Hmm. And I think for years I didn't say anything. I, I didn't acknowledge like, yeah, like, my life is changing. So that would be my first piece of advice is actually open up and say like, Hey, I'm scared right now. Like I'm scared right now. I don't know what this means, or I do know what this means. And I'm I'm a little afraid Mm -hmm. or I'm very afraid because there's so much power in actually saying how you're feeling because then someone else can tell you or offer advice or, you know, you could hear something like this where it's like, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay. 
You're not the first person to feel that way. And you won't be the last person who feels that way. But there's so many resources out there and so much information and the science is always changing and people are always learning. Like when I was 10, CGM, no. An iPhone, I, there, that wasn't even a thing. So it's like, you know. Yeah. I was saying like, I didn't have the internet or anything when I was diagnosed, but right, you know, say so the support was like your consultant or your, your diabetes nurse. Whereas now it's like, yeah, hop online. Like social media is amazing for support. Um, yeah. You know, the diabetic community are incredible. Like, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's crazy how amazing there's just endless information on Instagram, on, on Google, everything is Googleable. I highly recommend looking it up and then asking your doctor about it being like, Hey, I see this research. Like for me, like I'm completely plant-based and it has transformed my blood sugar. Like I was a fairly healthy person before this Mm -hmm. and going plant-based for me allowed my A1C to drop down from like a six, three down to a five, seven. And like, I'm able to go do the things I want to go do. That's just what's worked for me though. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's an option. Now you can go research and see if that interests you. You know, it's just like, find what works best for you and understand it might, what I works for me might not work for you. Everyone's different. Um, so don't be, don't, but again, like I said in the beginning, don't poo-poo it. Don't poo-poo an idea. You have to first do the research and see like, oh, okay, that makes more sense to me. Or, oh, I get why they're doing that. But it's not I'll give it a little for me try. Like, yeah, right. There's no right or wrong. It's just, you have to actually try first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been fascinating talking to you. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. It's been a, a true pleasure to get to talk to you and, and put a voice to the face <laughs> to connect yeah. everything all together. You know, it's it's just so nice. No, it's been great. Really appreciate your time, um, especially as you're so uh, so structured with your time and, and how you do things. So do really appreciate that. Um, I will make sure that your contact details go out with this podcast. So anyone who wants to contact you can do that. And uh, yeah, I will leave you to get on with the rest of your day. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) You're very welcome. Hopefully speak to you soon. Another huge thank you to Chris. What an uplifting guy he is. Um, If you are interested in that very special free gift that Chris has very generously given uh, diabetic and healthy listeners, The link is available on the Diabetic and Healthy website with this podcast episode. So that's where you can go and download that. Um, As always, thank you so, so much for listening. I genuinely love to hear um, hear your thoughts and your feedback. So please feel free to get in touch with me. My email is charlotte at diabeticandhealthy.com or you can drop a message via the Facebook page or Instagram. So until next time, stay happy and stay healthy. This episode has ended, but your journey towards a healthy and happy life continues. Head on over to diabeticandhealthy.com and join the conversation with other diabetics and their families. All the information in this episode is not designed to replace the advice from the health professional team looking after you and your diabetes. Before making any significant lifestyle changes, do consult them with your doctor.